Amen. This morning, I want to share a word with you that uh, is not a part of a series. It's not uh, something that we've been building towards in Scripture. Uh, it's rather different the way this one came to me. God spoke this message to me. Um, well, actually, I guess he spoke the message to me while I was scrolling on Facebook. <laughs> Believe it or not, God can actually speak through Facebook. You may have noticed the devil speaks through Facebook a lot. But believe it or not, God can actually speak through Facebook. Uh, Thursday night, I got home from our last night of vacation Bible school, and I turned on the news to the horror of another terrorist attack in Nice, France. There were 84 people who were mowed down by a terrorist in the streets, and uh, their lives snatched from them that night. Many of you, I'm sure, saw the news report. They were celebrating their independence as a nation, just the same way that we did, just a few weeks ago, moms, dads, children out there having a great time, just enjoying, uh, enjoying the fireworks and, and the beach and all of a sudden, uh, the, the worst horror that could come to anyone uh, comes to these families. In fact, uh, as, as an Assembly of God Fellowship, we have churches in that region that were impacted by the attacks and even... Uh, a mother with her young daughter from an Assembly of God congregation that was mowed down by this terrorist driving this truck through the crowds of people. And, and it was such a, an arresting moment, I'm sure for everyone, but coming home from just having been in these altars a few uh, moments earlier. On Thursday night at Vacation Bible School, we called it Family Night, and we invited the parents not to just drop their kids off, but to stay and to be a part of the service. And, and when we got to the end of the service, we opened these altars, as I mentioned earlier, and we invited families to come and to pray together. And it was so incredible to see moms and dads with their kids and grandparents with their grandkids praying in these altars and, and to go home and then to see the, the reality of, of, of families that love their kids every bit as much as we do ours and, and to have the, those lives taken away. It was a a harsh, harsh reality, but it was a, also a vivid reminder to me that as parents, the most important thing that we can do is lead our kids to Jesus. It's not something, it's not a talk that we have before they walk down the wedding aisle. It's not a talk that we have before they go off to college. It's not, it's not a conversation that uh, that we put off until we find out if they're going to choose to be church attenders on their own. How many of you know right now, today, is the opportunity that we have and no other day is guaranteed? And so it's so important that we take that responsibility seriously, that we don't pawn it off to the church or to the Sunday school teacher, but that each and every parent leads their own kids to know the Lord personally. You know, we support missionaries, and, uh, and I was thinking this week about missionaries like Dan and Alicia DeRozier, missionary friends of ours that are on first term over in Europe, and, uh, and they're, they're advancing the gospel through media. Dan is, uh, is extremely gifted uh, with technical arts, and uh, he used to teach uh, media at uh, Valley Forge University, and so he is over there now making films. They're, they're shooting a film right now that's going to be broadcast all over Europe, even in nations that are closed to missionaries and closed to the Gospels. They're not closed to entertainment. And so he's presenting the Gospel through media. I think about people like that, and, and it's encouraging on one hand. 
But on the other hand, I'm reminded that that missions is about the nations, but it's not any more about the nations than it is about the neighbors. Missions is about the people that live five doors down from you, the people that live across the street, the people that you work with. When it comes to the mandate of the church to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature, yes, it's about the nations, but it's also about the neighbors. Let me tell you what inspired uh, this message even more directly. We had a, a terrible incident overseas on Thursday, but just 10 days ago, the Thursday previous, we all turned on the TV and, or you saw the Twitter feed or you saw on, on social media the reports about a shooting in Dallas where there was a Black Lives Matter uh, peaceful protest taking place in downtown Dallas and all of a sudden a gunman opened up fire on police officers raining down bullets on uh, I believe 12 different officers and, and five, five of those officers lost their life. And over the next several days, we, we learned more about that gunman, about the details. And he was a 25-year-old man named Micah Xavier Johnson. Well, after I learned uh, his name, it really meant little to, to nothing to me. But then the next day, I, I learned about uh, the fact that he came from a suburb of Dallas. He lived in a little town on the east side of Dallas County called Mesquite. Wow. I lived in Mesquite for 10 years, from 2003 to 2013. Then the next day, I found out his address. And that's, that's where he lived, right there. Now, that, that made me shudder because my house is right over here. I owned that house for 10 years while we lived in Texas. And I realized that I was five doors down from one man that has impacted our nation. For good or bad, you're five doors down from somebody that's going to make an impact on a nation or on nations. I have a friend of mine that lives in Jamaica, and his ministry slogan is this, touch one, touch a million. I was reminded of that phrase this week as I, I looked at Google Earth, and I punched in the address of Micah, Xavier Johnson, if I could have touched one, I could have touched a million. What would the narrative have been if we had reached him? You know, Micah went to high school with the students in my youth ministry. Every time that we did events like the Vacation Bible School that we just did, uh, I was over the graphics uh, and, and media for our church, and I would make up posters and cards, just like the ones that we have uh, left over from our vacation Bible school. It's not, a, it's not a maybe, it's not a question. I can tell you, it's a guarantee. I knocked his door. My daughters, I used to pull them around in a red wagon, and we would pass out invitations to the Easter service. I can promise you, I was at his door. We had a, a, a teenage boys' life group that met every other Sunday night at my house. And any time there was something going on within the youth ministry or something that was going on at the church, before we would have our small group at the house, we would canvas our neighborhood. We would head right up Helen Lane. And we would hit every house in that neighborhood. We were there. We had the opportunity to reach out. Now, for whatever reason, that man made his choices. 
And I'm not saying that I feel any guilt this morning because of the decisions that he made, nor should you. But what I want to emphasize to us today is not about who I lived five doors down from for 10 years, but who I live five doors down from today and who you live five doors down from today. Who's your neighbor? And, and my prayer coming into this message is that God would arrest our hearts to recognize that missions is about the neighborhood as much as it's about the nations. That God has people in your sphere of influence, on your block, in your office, at your school. The only reason they're in your life is because he's called you to be an ambassador of reconciliation. That's who the church is. We're called to reach lost people. That's the reason we're here. It's the reason he doesn't just save us and, and immediately rapture us. Wouldn't that be exciting if God just did that? You know, altar call, hand goes up, boom, shoes come off. I mean, just praise God. Angels are rejoicing. But he leaves us here with an assignment to reach those that are five doors down. So this morning, I want to share this message with you for the next few moments that's born out of this personal experience that if I can touch one, I can touch a million. If you have your Bibles today, I want you to open them with me to Acts chapter 16 in the New Testament. And I just want to not really do a deep study of the text, but an overview of the circumstances here in the text. As we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I want you to see how it relates to your story and to mine. And I just want to give you five things this morning out of this text that the Lord spoke to me as I was meditating on it this week. The first one is this. We have a purpose. If you're a note taker, you, you might want to write these five things down. We have a purpose this morning. And, and I see how... Paul the Apostle is about to do an incredible work in Philippi. If you ever read the, the book Philippians, one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church there in the New Testament, uh, he's writing to some of the people that are going to get saved in Acts chapter 16. Because down the road, they're going to be believers. They're going to be a part of the church. And what we learn about the church at Philippi is that they were an incredible church, a powerful church. So in the book of Acts, specifically in chapter 16, we get to see the grassroots of the movement. We get to see before it was a church. We get to see what it looked like when it was just one man who had a heart for evangelism. One man who felt called of God to reach a community. And what I see at the first part of this story is that almost before it even gets started, it has the potential of being derailed. And that's why I want to communicate to you right at the onset of this message that you have a purpose. We're about to look in Acts 16, but can you just back up with me a couple of verses to Acts 15? And look with me in verse 36, right at the end of the chapter. Read along with me. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. That was the goal. Let's go, let's retrace our steps. Let's minister to the people that we've already established churches, established churches with. Next verse. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. 
But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, I want you to really key in on this next verse. Verse 39 says, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and he sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. I want to just say this to you. that This could have been a huge falling out. This could have been a big deal. Paul and Barnabas are not just friends. They're not just acquaintances that, that went to the same Bible college. Barnabas is the man that believed in Paul when nobody else would. Everybody else saw Paul's past. They knew who he used to be. Barnabas personally discipled him. Barnabas took him in. Barnabas accepted him and and encouraged other people to accept him and make him a part of the church. But verse 39 says that he and Paul had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways. And before they even get to Philippi, before this church even gets started or before a soul gets saved... Paul could have gotten a bad attitude. He could have gotten frustrated. He could have gotten mad. Mad at Barnabas. Mad at the church. And said, well, I mean, if if that's the way you guys are going to be, then forget it. I, I don't want nothing to do with you. And the reality is there's a lot of people who have allowed their little quibbles and quabbles with the body of Christ to keep them from impacting the world that Jesus called them to reach. They've forgotten. You have a purpose. That purpose is bigger than your preference. That purpose is bigger than any other agenda of your life. Jesus said it this way. I have come to seek and to save the lost. In one sentence, he defined his whole reason for leaving heaven and being born of a virgin and living a sinless life and doing miracles and, uh, and dying a substitutionary death on the cross and raising from the grave and ascending back to heaven in bodily form. One sentence. This is why I'm here. The lost. If you want to know this morning what the heart of God beats for, it's the lost. It's the lost. And yet there's so many people and maybe even some within the sound of my voice that you're not doing the thing that God called you to do. You're not fulfilling the role that God gifted you to do because you've got a story. Well, I tried one time and and somebody offended me. They said I couldn't do it. They said I wasn't good enough. They said I wasn't ready. Or, you know what, I I was a part of a team, but then the guy that led the team, man, he got a bad attitude. and, And it's all about somebody else. Here's Paul in a crisis situation. His mentor says, I'm not going with you. But instead of letting that derail him from the mission of God, he said, okay, the purpose of God is bigger than our differences. Why don't you take somebody that you can work with? I'll take somebody that I can work with. And let's stay on task. Let's do the thing that God has called us to do. You know, there's a lot of people today, and I didn't plan to say this, but I'm going to tell you this morning. There's people today that are not in the church. They're not even... They're not even building the kingdom. Jesus is building the church. He's not building television ministries. He's not building uh, missions trips. He's building the church, okay? He can use that stuff, but he's building the church. And there's people that are not even in the church today because they had a falling out with church members or with their pastor. Could you imagine if Paul did that? If he said, well, forget you guys, man. I'm not even going to, I'm not going to do the work anymore. If you guys won't do it my way, I'm not even going to do the work anymore. But yet that's what people do. 
If you're here today and you don't have a church family, I, I didn't plan on saying this, but find a church family. If you need one, you're welcome here. If you've got to go make peace with another one, then go back and do that. But don't sit at home. Maybe somebody's listening to this podcast. You ain't been in church in months. Stop listening online. Come to church. Don't let petty stuff keep you out of the kingdom of God. How many of you that, that served this week at Vacation Bible School were blessed because you were here? Raise your hand. You were blessed. Man, some of y'all are throwing up two hands. I mean, listen, there's a blessing in service. There's a blessing that God has for you. I could talk about that all day, but let's move on. Here's what, here's what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. I, I love this verse. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, you might not be called to the nations, but you are called to your neighbors. And before you were formed in the womb, God had a purpose for your life. God appointed you. God appointed you for a purpose. Let me give you the second thing. We not only have a purpose that we need to stay locked in on and not get distracted from, we have a partner. We have a partner in the ministry. Now, Paul had lots of partners in the ministry. He had Barnabas as a partner until they parted ways, but then God blessed him with Silas. In, in the first part of chapter 16, look at it with me. In verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived. Anybody ever heard of Timothy? Whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So praise God for Timothy because he's going to end up pastoring one of the churches that Paul plants. And Paul's going to write two letters to him and other men like Titus. If, if you want to know about some of the partners in Paul's ministry, flip over to Romans 16. And just read the greetings in Romans 16. There's 33 people that he mentions specifically that God has partnered with him in the work of the ministry. Ten of those, by the way, are women. So if you think women can't be in ministry, go wrestle with that chapter for a while. But, but the reality is he was surrounded by people that could help him do the work of the ministry. But I want you to hear something. Paul was not dependent on those people's faithfulness in order for him to fulfill the task. Because he wrote to Timothy years later. As he was just chronicling his personal situation from a prison cell. He said these words in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. He said, Timothy, at my first defense, no one came. No one came to support me. He said, but everyone deserted me. Ever felt that way? He said, everybody deserted me. The first time they put me on trial for preaching the gospel, that moment I really needed somebody to be there, no one was there. And may it not be held against them. In other words, I've forgiven them. It's not going to derail me from my purpose. But look at the next verse. The next verse, he says this. He said, "Where you have it up there? There it is. He said, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. You have a partner in the ministry. You have a partner that's far more faithful than the most faithful church member will ever be. He said, when everyone deserted, we, deserted me and no one stood with me, the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. And here's why the Lord stays faithful, because he's committed to his purpose. So that, through me, the message might be 
fully proclaimed. That's the purpose Jesus is committed to. And he said, I'll be with you always. I'll be with you. I'll be faithful to you. If you're not near Jesus, it's not because he left. It's because you left. Get back on purpose. Get back to the mission. He's always faithful. And Paul said, God will be faithful to help me. Can I just tell you this morning that, that he is committed to seeing souls saved. We have a promise from God when we do the work of evangelism that we never do it alone. You never do it alone. When you go out to witness to somebody, when you try to tell somebody about your relationship with God, when you try to just invite them to church or to a vacation Bible school or to a men's breakfast, you never go alone because the Holy Spirit is the greatest soul winner in the universe. And if you did try to do it alone, you'd fail. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the Bible says no one seeks God unless the Spirit draws them. So the Holy Spirit's the greatest soul winner. He's already working on their heart before you open your mouth. He's already going before you to soften their heart, to soften their mind, to prepare them to receive the gospel. You have a partner in the work. Let me give you the third thing. You have a plan. At least you need to. You need to have a plan. Paul, Paul's message included a particular audience. He was trying to go and reach Jewish people. And it's important that he knew who he was trying to reach. How many of you think it's important that you know who your audience is? Heard a story about uh, a, a teenager that wanted to, uh, to serve in his youth ministry. And he really felt like uh, his ministry gift was to do sign language interpretation during the service. So he went to his youth pastor and he said, I, I want to I do ASL uh, while you're preaching and while the worship's going on. You know, and pastor was like, we don't have any deaf kids. Like, but if you want to do it, you know, I, I guess we can try it. And so for like a year, he would be at every youth service just doing sign language. But they didn't have any deaf students. And so his ministry was absolutely ineffective, if not maybe a little distracting, because he, he was ministering to no one. We need to know who we're reaching and how to reach them. And Paul had a target audience, and that's why, though this is going to seem like a little bit of an, an obscure verse culturally for us, let's look at it together. Verse 3, it says, Paul wanted to take him. Talking about this young man, Timothy. He wanted to take him along on the journey... So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, I don't have time this morning to slow down and talk about all the culture issues. But the bottom line was Paul understood something. That these Jewish people who understand their relationship with God as being established by a blood covenant. The cutting of the foreskin. It was circumcision that established the covenant with God. So they saw people that hadn't been circumcised in the flesh as being cut off from God. You, you can't, how are you going to tell me, a Jew, how to have a relationship with a Jewish Messiah if you don't, you're cut off from God. So Paul understood that, you know what, we're not going to reach these people unless we get in their world. And so he took this necessary step with Timothy. It's important that we know who we're trying to reach. Now, on a far less extreme measure, can I just tell you as a church, we have a target audience too. I mean, we, we did vacation Bible school this past week. And can I promise you, we didn't pull out the hymnals once. 
We didn't. No, we were, we were singing, crank it like a chainsaw. Google it. We were singing, we were singing stuff that kids want to hear. These lights that are illuminating my face, they were dancing this week. I told them, don't do any chase sequences this morning. I don't want any chase sequences while I'm preaching. But the lights were dancing this week. As a church, we have a target audience. We want to reach children. We want to reach teenagers. We do several outreaches throughout the year for that specific purpose. We don't go into it going, now what, what can we do here uh, for, you know, for the 50-somethings? Easter egg hunt, we don't really think about the 50-somethings. You know, fall festival, not really bussing in people from uh, the nursing home to come and enjoy the fall festival. That's just not the target audience. That's not who we're trying to reach in that moment. God's called us to rescue a lost generation. God's called us as a church from day one to create an atmosphere in this house where young people can come and know that their kids matter. That they're, we're not babysitting upstairs while you can enjoy church. They're, minute, they're pouring out their hearts right now over your sons and daughters in kids ministry. On Thursday, uh, on Wednesday of this week, we're going to be starting discipleship week with our students. Every day from 12 to 3.30, we're going to be pouring into the lives of teenagers. I've got two former students from Texas that are flying in on Tuesday. They've been praying about what God wants them to say to our students. They're pouring into them because teenagers matter. They're in the middle of our target. This school district is in the middle of our target. So we have an audience that we're shooting for. And you have an audience that you're shooting for. At the place where you work, at the neighbors that you talk to. Don't, don't be one of those weird, weird evangelistic people that just like throw out slang words at, at people. That, that don't, have no application to their life. If you want to reach your neighbors, be neighborly. Be a neighbor. Don't stand out on the bridge and tell people that, you know, repent or you're going to die. That doesn't work at all. It just irritates people like me and then I preach about you. And it's not good. I don't want to preach about annoying Christians. Don't you hate that when preachers just talk about annoying Christians? I I hate it and I'm doing it right now. It's one of my pet peeves. Don't be that guy. Just love people. Love people. Be real with people. Be relevant. If you love soccer, then love people who love soccer. Better yet, get together with them. Play soccer. Don't be weird. And Paul knew, you know what? It's going to be really weird if I try to get Timothy, a Greek, to pastor these people that don't even think you can have a relationship with God unless you're circumcised. And Timothy, he had a purpose too, and it was bigger than his pain tolerance. He said, hey, this is what it takes to reach lost people. That's what I'm committed to. God's given you a plan. He's given us as a church a plan. He'll give you a plan too. Ask him. How about that? Ask him, God, what can I do to reach my neighbor? You know, the most spiritual thing you can do this week might be to take a meal down the street. The most spiritual thing you can do is help them change their oil. 
Whatever God's gifted you to do, that's a strategy. You put your gifts, your talents, you couple that with the Holy Spirit, you just created ministry. See, this is my, this is my talent, running my mouth. So when you get the Holy Spirit involved, ministry happens. Holy Spirit not involved, not ministry. I just rant about, you know, weird people. But Holy Spirit involved, gifting, ministry. You have a gifting. Same Holy Spirit anoints you that does me. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Let me give you the fourth one. We have power. We have power. Look with me at verse 16 through 18. We're coming to a situation down here. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. By the way, it doesn't say she wasn't accurate. It says she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Can I tell you the litmus test for whether something of, is of God or not is not whether it's true. People get into a lot of mysticism and new age and fortune telling and they think it's okay because the person was accurate. We only call wrong what was incorrect. But the Bible says whether it's right or wrong accurately, it's wrong. If it's not of God, you know, people can actually foretell the future uh, by an unholy spirit. That's not my message today. Just leave that alone. All right. He said she followed Paul. Verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She was right again. She kept this up for many days. Finally, I love this. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. That he turned around and he said to the spirit that was in the girl. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Paul's dealing with a frustrating situation. He's trying, he's trying to evangelize a community. And there's this woman who's possessed of a spirit. Who's just following them around for days. Saying who they are and what they're trying to do. She was accurate, but she was just annoying. And, and, and it, was dis, it was a disruptance. And everybody knew uh, who this person was and, and, and how they, uh, her, the people that owned her, her slave masters, used her for profit. And he finally got frustrated that he dealt with it. But here's what the Bible says. We have power available to us. Let me give a verse to you quickly. It says in, in John, you don't have to turn there, but we'll put it on the screen. In John chapter 14, he says, Verily, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Jesus said we're going to do greater things than he did because he goes to the Father. Now, that doesn't mean greater in, in significance or, or greater in, in demonstration. I mean, Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a little boy's lunch. That's, that's pretty great. Jesus said we're going to do greater things. And what he meant was, for example, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached, and 3,000 people got saved right there at that one meeting. We're going to do greater things, in, maybe not in quality, but in quantity, as I can preach this message right now and it can go on the internet and go around the world. Jesus couldn't do that. When he preached, whoever showed up got to hear the message. Whoever wrote it down and preserved it 
we got to read it later, but there are people all over the world that can listen to me preach from right here at 365 Orange Street because of technology. Greater things than these will you do because I go to the Father. Now, Jesus was not saying it's going to be easier for you when I'm gone. He was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples, he said, it's good that I go away because if I go away, then the Counselor, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit can come. Can I tell you, we have the Holy Spirit available to us for the work of the ministry. The Holy Spirit equips us to do greater works, to empower us to do the work that He's called us to do. So, verse 18 in in Acts 16, Paul gets, finally, he gets annoyed. I love that. Finally, Paul becomes so annoyed that he took authority in Jesus' name. Can I tell you, you have power today in the name of Jesus? We have power in the name of Jesus. Jesus said, greater things will you do because I'm going to the Father. He said, you'll do these things in my name. The next verse says, in my name, whatever you ask, in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. What was, what was he talking about there? Well, let's ask him. John, what were you talking about when you said anything that we ask for in the name of Jesus we can have? Because that sounds kind of hocus pocus. That sounds like, hey, that's a good deal. Let's just ask for anything in Jesus' name. Break out your wish list. Maybe there were some people that thought that. So a little while later, he wrote a shorter letter, First John. And he expounded on what he said. 1 John 5, 14, he said, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, here's the key, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have when we ask of him. So he said, here's the deal. You can ask of anything in Jesus' name according to his will. If it's not God's will... It's not going to happen. But if you exercise the power that you have, you have power. If you exercise the power of the name of Jesus, according to the will of God, it can be yours. And so Paul's dealing with this girl, following him for who knows how many days until finally he gets so frustrated, he turns around and he speaks to the spirit that is controlling her. And in the name of Jesus, he says, come out. And she comes out. And I just wonder when you're going to finally get annoyed. With the spirit that has been persecuting you. With the spirit that has been accosting your faith. With the spirit that has been hindering you from the work that God's called you to. You have power available in the name of Jesus to finally get annoyed at the devil and his minions. And turn around and put him in his place. In Jesus name. Not with arrogance, not because I'm something or you're something, but because Jesus has given us authority. We don't have time to go there today, but Ephesians 6 communicates clearly to us that we are not wrestling in a flesh and blood warfare. We are battling powers and principalities and uh, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. In other words, there's a real warfare that's going on in the unseen. And your neighbors are in bondage. Our community is in bondage. And we don't need to speak to them and counsel them 
out of the darkness. Sometimes we need to take authority in Jesus' name and speak to the spirit that holds them down. Speak to alcoholism. Speak to a poverty mindset. Speak to sickness. Speak to disease. Speak to whatever that spirit is that's latched itself onto their life and say, in Jesus' name, let them go. And y'all got quiet because we stepped into a whole nother dimension of evangelism right there. But can I take you back to the beginning? We have a partner. A partner in the work of evangelism. The Holy Spirit of God. And when we pray, when we make that the priority of evangelism, God clears a path for the gospel. Sometimes we've been ineffective, not because we didn't have the words to say or because our timing was wrong. We're ineffective because there's a spirit that's latched itself to people. And, and I just love the fact that finally, Paul got annoyed at this hindrance enough to take authority in Jesus' name. And I would challenge you to do the same, to get annoyed with the works of the enemy and take your authority in Jesus' name. Here's the fifth thing. We have to have passion. We have to have passion. Specifically, a passion for souls. In this story, uh, what happened after Paul cast the devil out of this girl, she was free. She was set free. She's going to be a member of the church in Philippi. But the people that were her slave masters were not happy because they didn't have their little gimmick anymore. They didn't have their little fortune teller. They couldn't make money on their sideshow. And they got frustrated. And so they went to the, the leaders of the community and they had Paul and Silas arrested. And they had them thrown into the inner cell of the prison. They were beaten with rods and their, their feet were locked down in stocks. And the Bible says that they were there in that inner cell, in that place. And they begin to lift up their voice and worship to God. They begin to cry out to God and sing His praises. They were believing that God could come through for them. That this wasn't going to be the end of their story. And as they're praying and as they're worshiping, the Bible says that others were listening to them and hearing them. Now, can I just say, if you know this story, you're ahead of me already, but it would be really cool if, if God in this moment, while they're singing and praising, would have caused an earthquake that could shake the prison's foundation and cause all of the, the jail cells to pop open. It would be cool if the, the stocks that their feet were locked in would bust open and if the guard who was trying to keep them would have stumbled and fallen on his own sword and died. That would have been a cool story. And they would have been quoting the scripture out of the Old Testament, Exodus 14, where the Lord said uh, through Moses, I am the Lord your God. I'm fighting for you. The battle is mine. It's not yours. That would have been an awesome story. And that's almost the way it happened. But what really happened is as they were praying in the prison, God sent an earthquake and the foundation of the jail shook and the prison doors opened up and the stocks that their feet were in came busting open and the guard who was keeping them in the prison saw all that was going on and he almost fell on his sword and killed himself. But before he did, look at it with me, before he did, the Bible says in verse 28 of Acts 16, Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. This man was so afraid of letting his prisoners escape, he was about to kill himself. And had he done it, we'd probably still love the story. 
I'm like, that was awesome, man. God set his people free. And there's probably people in your life and in mine that if they fell on their own sword, we really wouldn't mind too much. But Paul had a passion for the lost. Paul was so concerned with people spending eternity outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ that he said, don't kill yourself. The man who had just beaten them within an inch of their life. The man who had locked them in the center of the inner cell. The man who had put their feet in the stocks. Don't kill yourself. Sounds like Jesus who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And while it's easy for me to watch the headlines of the catastrophes and to pray that some folks would fall on their swords, I need to have a heart like Paul and a heart like Jesus that says, I came to seek and save the lost. And Paul never forgot who he used to be. Paul never forgot that before he was Paul the apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus. In Acts chapter 9 begins with these words, and Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the church. That's who he used to be. He was the one who was locking the Christians in prison. He was the one who wanted to persecute them and and have them stoned to death. And he never forgot who he was. And here's the trap for us. Here's the, the dangerous snare that we can fall into. That the longer we live in grace, we forget who we used to be. And we can start saying, you know what? I mean, hey, as long as God sets us free, as long as I get out of my bondage, I don't care who has to fall on their sword. I mean, as long as we don't, you know, lose any ground in the church. Paul had a heart, a passion even, for the lost. That's what he's called us to have, a passion for the lost. Because they're just five doors down. And if you can touch that one, you can touch a million. You might live down the street from the next Micah Xavier Johnson. And again, it might be the next Billy Graham. You could live five doors down from the next Saul of Tarsus. Somebody who hates the church, wants to persecute the church. But then again, if you reach him... It could be the Apostle Paul. That's why we always have to come back to the place of the cross. Because the ground is level at the cross. No no one stands taller than anyone else at the cross. We all come humbly. We all bow low. At the exalted head of Jesus. And I want to challenge you this morning. To just in these closing moments to pray about those people that God has called you to reach. Maybe you've seen their faces many times this morning. Maybe you haven't thought about anyone and I'm going to invite you to do it right now. But as I think about the, the opportunities that God has given me. I'm reminded that the people around us have limitless potential once their lives are in the hands of God. So, Father, today I pray for your church all over this room, Lord God. I see men and women, young and old, who you've called. You've called us with purpose. You've called us with destiny. You've gifted us by your Holy Spirit to do the work of an evangelist. To tell people about Jesus, to tell people about God's Son. 
You've called us to not assume that anybody is out of your reach, that anybody is too far gone, or that anybody deserves to spend an eternity in a place that was created for Satan and his fallen angels. God, give us a heart like yours. A heart that as much as you long to be with us, and we know you long to be with us because you paid such a high price so we could be with you. You let your son die on a cross to make a bridge so that we could come into eternal life because you want to go back to Eden. You want to walk in the cool of the day with us. You want to spend time with us, and yet you haven't yet. Over 2,000 years and you still haven't come. Why? Because your word says, Lord, you don't desire that any would perish, but that all would come to eternal life. Church, the only reason that Jesus hasn't come and snatched us away is because the moment we're gone, the light of the gospel is gone. The light goes out. The hope of humanity goes out. You're here. I'm here for one reason. One more day for one reason. To be ambassadors of reconciliation. To represent a heavenly kingdom in an earthly realm. And you're gifted to do it. You're called to do it. You're commissioned to do it. Father God, today, may we have courage. May we have courage today. Lord, to never be sidelined from the mission. Yeah, I I know we have disagreements. Things don't go the way we wanted. But God, help us to have resolve. Help us to be fully committed to the purpose you've called us to. And and to to never flinch, God. Give us resolve. Give us steel in our backbone. God, thank you today. That you've positioned us as a church and each each of us as individuals. To reach those that are five doors down in the neighborhood. And to reach the nations. So God, my prayer, I want it to be very specific in this moment. Would you give me one? This week. One. Just one. Father, open up a door. Prompt us by your Holy Spirit so that we see it coming. Lord God, if you could give us just one, one soul, one opportunity. Would you pray that this week? Say, God, help me this week to lead somebody towards a relationship with you. Help me this week to speak in the moment I need to say it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus.